The following program is intended for mature audiences. You're listening to Bottom Shelf Recording Talk. Sounds boring. Oh my, yeah. You don't hear us gassing on about it. You keep using that word. I don't think it means what you think it means. By the way, you know, when you're, when you're telling these little stories, you have a big mouth. Here's a good idea. What are you even talking about? Have a point. Why are you airing personal matters with complete strangers? It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. Beauty. And we're going. <laughs> okay. Um, so Joey and I have a hand tendency just to jump right into whatever we're talking about. Uh, okay. So Joey, give us your thoughts on these two, these three different um, compressors. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I mean, 1176 LN, it's a revision DE, whatever you want to look at it. It's supposedly closer to E, but the E and the D are so close to each other. Like, I, yeah, whatever, who cares? Um, I got the warm audio revision D and then the Clark Technic revision D, you know, they, they sound interesting. If I had to say, yeah, one that I think is the least best, it's the warm audio. And there's a lot of things for that. My first impressions when I unboxed these things was uh, I saw uh, with the warm audio one, you have a wall wart with it. Mm-hmm. And that I hate there's that. Been, that. That was the number one reason why it, it didn't even make it onto one of my test lists. Well, I, I thought it had an IAC for whatever reason. Because, <laughs> you know, I have the API clone here and that has an IEC connection. And like they've done, they've done that with all the others because of how much flack they got for the IE, for the wall word. So everything, everything that was designed post well, their the W76. thing is, is like you look at pictures of the thing opened up yeah. and it's like, was there not enough space to put the transformers and stuff in there? No, it was a cost saving measure. Oh, I know what it was. Oh, yeah, right. I, I, I work for a company that owns companies that build this stuff. <laughs> I know what it is. It's yeah. save money and not and get around um, some legal requirements for having an IEC right. connection. Um, so, like, I get it, but how much does it really save you? Uh, and like, how much is that adding to the cost of the unit on a, a customer basis? Like, these are seven or 800 bucks here in Canada. Yeah. Like, is it going to add 50 bucks? Like I'm already spending quite a bit of money. Well, I think their manufacturing costs as is for the units were about 150 American, including all parts and assembly down in, yeah. uh, in whatever other country they're made. That's yeah. very cheap. It is, but I mean, that's, uh, that's not uncommon. That's common though, because yeah. you, you'll get your manufacturer will then sell to a dealer or not, uh, not a dealer, um, distributor mm-hmm. and they'll have a markup for that. Okay. And then the distributor sells it to stores and the stores will then have their own markup. So everyone's getting a piece and yeah. that, that's why things can get pretty expensive. If you find out what the actual manufacturing cost is it's like a third usually wow that's insane yeah and is there ever was there ever a way to get that direct from a dealer or are you always beholden to the store nowadays it's easier to get things direct from dealers but but they have they they regulate how much uh 
a piece of gear is allowed to be sold for. And a lot of right. a lot of contracts with distributors will actually will actually dictate dictate what those is. terms. Yeah, that makes yeah. complete sense because that would totally rock the uh, the established economy based around that. And that's right. why that's why I think I think most of the most of the most of the manufacturers that sell direct, mm -hmm. they build on they build in small quantities that couldn't fulfill a retail chain, mm -hmm. right? And 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 so it it just makes sense to sell privately to sell direct anyway, right? Yeah, but those are usually like the mom and pop places right. that are hand wiring and uh, like cathedral pipes. Yeah, well, that's why you pay two, three grand for their three grand now. Well, I mean, I, I paid, I bought that, um, in 2013 when the dollar was pretty close to the American or Canadian dollar was pretty close to the American dollar. Right. And, uh, and I think it was, I think it was like 3000 and like 40 bucks hmm. once the delivery and customs and, and, and exchange rate was all, all applied. Okay. Yeah. But if, if that um, if that thing was to sell in the stores, and I think they do sell them in some stores down now, like I think probably send, in the states. Yeah, um, I think they I think they retail for close to four grand now. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's why I'll probably never have one. It's <laughs> yeah. Too much money for. I like, it's great, uh, an amazing mic, but I've I've gone through kind of a microphone. I still buy too much shit. <laughs> I've, uh, I've gone through a, a, a kind of a microphone sell-off trying to, trying to, because trying to just reduce my inventory. And it, it was definitely one that I considered early on. Is this something that I can sell? And I absolutely decided that it, I, I can't. Hmm. It's, it's the perfect thing in so many situations that I can't. What do you guys me. think about the new uh, emulation style mics? Like, uh, for instance, the Slate one. I haven't played with the Slate one. I've played with the Townsend one. That one is fun, but not for the reasons you might think. Right. Um, I don't... <laughs> uh, I was having more fun doing things like making it emulate an SM7 or an, an SM57 but in bi-directional polar oh, pattern. So it doesn't sound like anything right. <laughs> that's out on the market. That is super cool though. I've never thought about even doing that. Yeah, I, I mean, I was just screwing around being right. like, I wonder if I can uh, make impossible things happen. So like right. it puts whatever filter is the SM57, mm. but then gives you a... Uh, bi-directional polar pattern so then you can talk to the back of the microphone and actually have a brighter 57 that is sick. if you wanted that i usually avoid 57s because they're so bright right that makes yeah. so much sense so in the day-to-day -day world them here yeah <laughs> <laughs> well they're just a handy affordable mic so it, yeah. it makes sense to have some uh, but i mean toms i'm gonna go 421s i want it and then I wanted to experiment with my recent project that I recorded drums on uh, to put 441s on the snare, but mm. nobody ha was willing to to lend me Sorry, man. 441s. <laughs> it mine, wasn't just you. Mine, mine actually couldn't handle a snare. Mine are old and they, they tend to fart out um, when they're too close to uh, a loud source like a mm -hmm. snare. Oh. Yeah. I learned that well, the hard way, but... 
Instead, I used uh, Aston Starlights. Oh, yeah. So pencil condenser mics. I don't remember which mode I put them on, but right. it was pretty cool. It, nice. it, Can I ask like you guys a drum-related question that I think a lot of people, especially coming into to doing this type of work, I think go through? Um, should I even record drums in the first place? Like, I know what our three answer would be. <laughs> I think it has a lot to do with we're all super, super sound nerds and we love this kind of uh, stuff. But some people... That's a tough like, one. Yeah, where's the line where you decide, hey, I'm going to use samples today and only samples or I'm going to go for it and record this drum so kit? First thing, in my opinion, is do you have a room that you can record drums in? Second is, is the drummer good enough that... You're not going to be there all day getting a use useful take. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, like even if it's like you're doing part by part, like the drummer needs to be good enough, or else you're just editing anyway. Which at that point, like just program it. Um, and like depending on how good the drummer is, you might have to replace the cymbals because if they're gorilla arming their cymbals, <sighs> yeah. Then like it's just useless because it just washes out. Like right. every symbol sounds the same. And, right. and and sometimes sometimes that's a that's a problem of the symbols too. I had a 13-year-old drummer in the studio a couple weekends ago. And when he first sat down, my first thought was, wow, this kid's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Right. And you know, when we get mics set up and 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 I and I and I listened to that first that first through the mic thing, and and I'm like, whoa, okay those symbols sound awful. And I go back in the room and I'm like, yeah, okay. That was something I, I was so excited by how good this kid was. Cause 13 mm-hmm. year old, I didn't expect him to actually be that good. And then I, I just didn't pay attention to details like the symbols. And so I go back in, I listen to the symbols. And yeah, sure enough, they are, they sound awful. And so I say to him, do you mind if we just replace um, this one symbol that you're that you're really heavy on, he's like, yeah, well, no, that that's totally cool. I don't think my symbols are very good anyway. I'm like, yeah, okay, well, they're B series. Well, they're recording symbols you want thinner symbols anyway. So okay. we actually went the other really? we other went, went the other direction. We put on we put on a uh, he had a B series uh, ride that he was crashing on because he he didn't ride it, he just crashed on it. Okay, uh, and so we replaced that with a. With one of my Zildjian um, stage series huh. uh, ride, and he started crashing on that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, that sounds so good." Well, if he's hitting harder, I guess a thicker symbol would make sense. Yeah, and then and then again, I have him go back and forth between his two symbols, and instantly I realize, "Wow, this one seems like it's like it's 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 got no energy at all compared to the, this symbol that we put up." And it sounds terrible. Okay, can, do you mind if we change this one too? And he's like, okay, sure. And so I pulled out another, like a like a, a medium, uh, a medium um, A series Zildjian, right. and and threw it up. And so we have two heavy symbols for him to bash on, and they just sounded amazing. Yeah. And then and then I say, okay, play around, do some fills, get the crashes in there, uh, play a beat. And I'm just standing in the room. I'm like, yeah, those hi hats have got to go. <laughs> 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 and so we changed the hi-hats we changed the hi-hats and they sounded better but he was still just a like right, like yeah. a basher on the hi-hat I'm like okay so there's nothing else I can do to that other than give him like six months worth of drum lessons so 
okay, good enough. Let's move forward. Right. You're giving me flashbacks of me in my basement right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's hard for a drummer to do it because, like, you got to think about it. Like, when they're hitting the cymbals, they have to be lighter on the cymbals, but they have to hit the drums like pretty hard. And so that can be hard to kind of think about. But if you got a drummer that can do that, that knows their dynamics yeah, already, like right? the drummer I recorded, he's like a uh, a jazz drummer, and a, he does the marching snare mm-hmm. stuff. He, he does like com- he actually does like competitions. He's flown to like Scotland to do that while playing with a uh, what is the annoying thing from Scotland? Bagpipes, the bagpipes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, can you narrow that down? <laughs> So yeah, he's one of those guys who plays like the snare and he's he's very articulate. He can play a drum like six different ways and it sounds like it, it was amazing his kit. He only had two toms, but he made it sound like there was like four or five. So so obviously you're going to be lo- using a lot less processing with someone like that too. Probably a lot less compression. And well, even things. like placing the mics and stuff, it yeah. was like super easy. Um I pretty much, I set things up where I roughly wanted them mm-hmm. and I didn't really have to move anything. I had to move a uh, ribbon microphone that was just too close to the edge and all it was doing was resonating. So I had to put it closer to the middle and a little bit further back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the overheads, I had to change them a little bit, but not by much. It was like a couple inches. This segues into another question I have going back to how we just talked about people. I'm going to look at myself as a, the first and the worst offender for this, but bashing the shit out of symbols, right? When you're in your room now, could is there anything you could do with your overheads and or your room mic techniques that could eliminate or at least control a bit of that brightness or the wash in the room? For yes, there's, there's lots you can do. Um, the drummer has to be willing to, uh, to adjust and... Uh, I'm going to go on the assumption that the drummer can't play differently, mm-hmm. right? Like, because amazing drummers can, like they can control, yeah. they can control. But a good drummer, you can tell them like, hey, I'm having this problem and they just know how to fix it. Right. Yeah. Um, but assuming that they can't, the number one thing, the number one thing to do is move your overheads to... To, to spots in the room where they just naturally hear less of the overheads or less of the cymbals. Okay. And sometimes that's actually underneath the kit. Um, uh, Jeff from, cool. what's his name? Oh, man. St. Albert guy. Uh, I'm going to bash my head because I can't remember what his last name is. Um, former studio owner. Uh, he loved putting ribbons underneath the kit like, you know, closer to the floor, but he called them underhead mics. Yeah, I know, right? But he would, he would, it would kind of be either side of the kick drum, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe as much as four or five feet away from, from kind of that central point of what, you know, this side, that side. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they would just naturally have, have less of the brightness of the symbols and they'd have a lot more of the resonance of the symbols. Mm. And then, uh, um, yeah, but but I mean, it can be it, it can be anywhere else in the room that just has just has less whatever, right? Less of that. Right. Um, if you're still having trouble, you can uh, you can have the drummer raise his cymbals. Okay. 
because that's often that's often a a cure for um, a cure for that overwhelming symbol thing. Because the overwhelming symbols will get into the close mics, and it's the close mics that can save a shitty overhead. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. Because if if you if you make the close mics sound better, your overheads can really just be that kind of here's the brightness of the symbols. Yeah, you right? can tame the overheads a yeah. lot easier that way. Whereas yeah. if everything's in the is bleeding into your close mics, then it's just. A fight, just this mess now. <laughs> yeah, I've had right. I've had tracks come from home recorders that uh, I, I couldn't use. I could not use the overheads because there was too much symbol in all the close mics. Wow! And there was no amount of. I mean, short of me sample replacing everything, which I generally refuse to do. Yep. Um, there was no saving the close mics, so I had to. I had to work. I had to work all that symbol bleed right. in as the symbol sound and it didn't sound great, but yeah. I mean, with the right, with the right bus compression and, and EQing, you know, it, 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 it was passable. Yeah. What was your uh, hardest part of that? Like, how would you gate in that situation? Cause I, I noticed when you get a lot of symbols, it's hard. that's the thing is, is unless I could make the gate really clean or unless I could make the gate invisible, hmm. I wouldn't gate, I would expand instead yeah i i would typically use an expander yeah. although there is a company i can't remember right now they have a a multi-band gate that mm. uh joey surge tones no they, they well they have one this is like x air or something like that okay uh, but uh the idea is like you tell it where the drum is and yeah. then it filters out the rest and it, it wow. seems to do like a really awesome job like for a gate it actually like nice. makes uh toms and stuff just sound clean Sweet. you eliminate a lot of bleed that way whereas like typically a gate just doesn't do it it's very abrupt and an expander is usually a better idea although i probably wouldn't even do an expander i just manually edit it right see and i find i find um I find the manually editing uh, takes too long in those situations, especially. Well, as, yeah, it does definitely take mm. too long, but it does sound better. Uh, maybe. In my opinion. Mm. But see, that's the thing is if there's too much bleed, if there's too much bleed, manually editing, manually editing around the toms still has those pockets where the symbols seem to like. Psst, psst, right. And it just psst, pops out. Right. You know. on, mm -hmm. the, on the tom hits. And I find that distracting. Right. right? I yeah, th that can be definitely annoying. Yeah, and then, and, and and anyway, so I, I tend not to work in in a lot of the metal that that Joey. I has don't even really in. work not in anymore. metal anymore. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been doing a lot more. Uh, actually, recent projects have been more rock, and then I did a rap uh, thing recently. <laughs> <laughs> Although that one. Is like I approached the artist because okay. like he actually Very is serious cool. about his career. Yeah, so cool. that's awesome. Um, but a cool thing I'm doing with overheads that you might be interested in, James, yeah. is I'm doing this weird, or I tried it out with my last session and it worked really well. It's like this, uh, what is it? Spaced pair bloom line kind of thing. Cool. It's, um, so I, I, oh, plus over the shoulder a bit because they're 
actually kind of behind the drummer. Oh yeah. For the most part. Uh, so I like this last drum session I did, I had the, um, right side behind the drummer kind of maybe a little above his shoulder. Um, and so figure eight pattern and I'm pointing it mostly horizontally. It's slightly pointed down okay. towards like the drums that are on that side of the drummer, Yeah, which he had, I think three things there. He had like a splash, a ride, or maybe it wasn't a ride. I don't know. Three pieces of metal for him to bash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Mostly horizontal, just a slight downward so that I'm not like directly on the side of the the symbols because that sounds weird. Yeah. You want it slightly above or below typically. Um, But yeah, so that's mostly horizontal, pointed a little bit down. Then the other microphone is like actually quite a bit higher, kind of really like maybe a foot or two. Well, no, it's probably like two or three feet above his shoulder. And it was a little bit more forward than the right side. And it was mostly pointed down slightly to the side just so that I could capture more of, right. like to make sure I captured all the symbols. Yeah. And uh, and then I used the string trick with the, putting the string on the kick drum and the snare mm-hmm. just yeah. to make sure that Your it phase was aligned. phase aligned. Uh, gotcha. Um, moved them slightly. So there might've been like a slight phase thing. Uh, although I had not noticed it, uh, because I think whatever crossover there was from the not perfect bloom line that Mm -hmm. I was doing, um, was so little that it didn't really matter. Yeah. But man, did I get like a tremendous amount of spread from that. Nice. It's amazing. It, it, like I was editing or doing the comps for it and it felt like I was sitting in the drum throne. Yeah. Playing the drums. So like... I knew, I knew where the symbols were because I recorded it and it actually felt like that's where that's the symbols where they were, were in relationship to the drummer. Nice. That's mm-hmm. awesome. So that's a a thing I'm going to play with some more. Yeah. That Can might I, be my new overhead technique. That's awesome. Yeah. Can I ask you a question about that? Yeah. Because um, you just brought up phase with that stuff because that's exactly what I'm getting into experimenting with is with my overheads and uh, just different techniques with that. Sure. Um. You you talk because I I kind of seen the string technique before, but how do you guys go about making sure, like when you're experimenting with overheads or rooms or something like that, how do you guys know for certain you're out of phase? You can hear it. You can hear it. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah well, okay. the, the the easiest the easiest way to do it is is um, well, so you're are you just talking about about being in phase with each other? Um, just the whole kit being in phase, like what, from what I've seen is, yeah, I guess being in phase with each other for, cause what, what I've seen a lot of guys do is they're, they're basically taking everything off the snare and they're going the same distance with, with, with their overheads. And then they'll do the same thing. Uh, they'll like with Vance Powell, I seen he'd take his, for his rooms, he'd take the string and he would literally like make an arc in front of the drum set. And he would have that arc with tape on the ground and he would know that he could put mics along that arc similar Ways yeah, like so I was kind of wondering I how you don't guys go that far with my room mics because okay. usually the room's kind of washing out right. uh, all around. That I am not too worried. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the uh, thing is, is like, um, I'll I'll do a stereo room. I I still call them overheads mm-hmm. uh, myself, uh, but they're like five feet in front of the kits on either side. Cool in an omnidirectional pattern. 
and I'm pointing at the ceiling. Right. Um, so like, I'm not really capturing the drums at that point. And uh, I find that the phase relationship stays pretty good. Like just eyeballing it. I find okay. I wasn't getting really any phase if there probably was a little bit, but right. Well, I mean, there, there's been like some of our favorite records from the past 40 years are filled with phase issues. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and, and it's, it, having, having a phase problem isn't necessarily a bad thing. Right. As long as when, as, as long as you're verifying things in mono, yeah. mm-hmm. right. And then you, and, and, and that's the biggest thing when to check the phase of overheads, slap it into mono. If, if things are out of phase in a bad way, your kick or your snare might actually disappear or a tom wow. might actually disappear. Yeah. And that's when you have an issue, right? Okay. Um, but if, if you, if you collapse it to mono and you don't really hear things, things will sound different, but if you don't hear things getting, getting weaker yeah. or, 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 or conversely, if, if, if you, if you f- switch it into mono and it sounds bigger, hmm. also a phase problem. Yeah. Um, okay. but when I was tracking too, like the only part where I was worried about phase was the snare top and bottom, mm-hmm. but that's simple. You just invert the phase of one of those tracks. Then my overheads, that's all I really cared about. My mm-hmm. close mics, I wasn't too worried about it because their job was to capture the thing they're pointed at, mm-hmm. not the, the what's remaining around right. uh, the kit. And I, I'm going to be cleaning up that stuff so that those things, you have a little bit more control over them to make like the toms or whatever sound like toms. And right. The kick drum sounds like a kick drum. Hell, my, my kick drum mics, like the only one that had bleed was my beater head mic. Oh, really? And that was because it was underneath the snare. Right. Yep. Ooh, total side. Um, I tried something that I don't remember where I saw it at all. I can't, I can't for the life of me remember. Um, I set up a U87 in th- th- that spot that you did between the snare and the kick. Yeah. Except between the floor tom and the kick in omnidirectional pointed at the drummer's leg. Okay. The most amazing middle of the kit sound I've ever been able to find. Had 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 the minimal amount of of cymbals, had all the attack and punch of all of the toms and the kick and snare. And once it was in phase, it just blended in in such a nice way to give to give kind of this low mid low mid extra attack mm. to everything. It was just fucking awesome. Mm, that's awesome. My U87 was there because I noticed that my D6 in the sound hole and the R84 in front of the skin was just basically all low end. There was a bit of punch in the D6 because um, I did have it pointed towards the beater head, mm. but it had a lack of like, really crispy high-end smack oh yeah mm-hmm. uh, so figure eight pointed at the beater and then yeah when it came to comping i just uh side changed the s- snare to a compressor on that track so that i got rid of the snare bleed greg at um hillbilly wizard uh i can't remember his last name for the life of me um you know who i'm talking about right 
Yeah. Um, so he, another guy in town, uh, he loves going overboard with microphones on a drum kit. Uh, but his one of his favorite things, and this is where I got this kick snare idea, is he uses a, a Royer 121 in that mm. spot so that so that the high end, the cymbal kind of stuff is kind of naturally controlled. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so he doesn't have to get rid of as much. Cool. Yeah. I recently tried an R10 on a guitar cabinet. Ooh. I was actually surprised at how, um, I don't want to call it bright, but it didn't definitely have a little bit of teeth with the high end. Mm. Yeah. More so than most ribbon microphones. Mm. Mm. Nice. Is that the mid-priced Royer one? No, that's, that's the, the cheap one. one. That's the cheap one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's their like, 500 one. How much is it? Well, they're like 700 bucks. 500 American then. Yeah, right, that's probably right. the price I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, so all it is, is it's a 101. I know, but uh, the 101s a, were too body. expensive to keep making the way they were making them. Really? Yeah. Yeah. They got to like the $1,000 point. Like they used yeah. to be the cheap mic. Mm-hmm. They were super affordable when they first got them. Uh, but as time went on, there were certain components that just kept driving up the price to mm-hmm. the point where it was no longer an affordable mic. Yeah. So then they ditched that design and went with the R10. So, you know, probably 10 years from now, the R10 will be too expensive. <laughs> uh, and I'm regretting I didn't buy an R121 uh, when they were like 1200 bucks because I they're like 1700 now yeah, yeah they? they're approaching two grand now which I is just like holy crap if I had a used one I could sell that for oh, my 15 I um, <laughs> since we last did an official podcast um, so 2018 mm-hmm. I got myself a second uh, 313 the KSM 313 Nice. The second one of those. Those I, are nice ribbon mic. I, I always yeah. forget about it. <laughs> yeah, because they're they're a, they're a sure product, so they're not the sexy thing for everybody to be talking about, right? right? Well, right. The, and you don't think of it that when you're thinking sure, like you think of usually dynamic Dynamics. microphones. Yeah. yeah. So, but they have two two ribbons in their product line. Really, I didn't even know they did. Yeah, they bought a company that specialized in ribbon microphones, and then found ways to to um, uh, manufacture manufacture them cheaper in Chicago at their at their big their big uh, facility in Chicago. Sweet, yeah. So they they make all their studio line, which is the the KSM series, is their studio line. Mm-hmm. They make all that stuff in Chicago, at least I think it's Chicago, and then um, and then everything else is made down in Mexico. That's so cool. I like Shure microphones. The ones I own anyway, they they do the job. I'm sure yeah, everybody no, owns a couple like, 57s. There's nothing wrong with Shure microphones. Uh, my hate, if you want to call it hate, for Shure microphones is just, uh, especially like 57s, 58s, is they have this bump at like 5K. Yeah, yeah. And if whatever you're recording just naturally has that bump, you just made it that much worse. Right. Yeah. So, so I don't like them on guitars because mm. that's usually where the ugly part of the picking right. attack is. Uh, so, like, like if I'm using a 57 on a, a cabinet, it's just usually too bright, and I have to blend a different microphone, usually mm. a darker microphone, in with it. And mm-hmm. yeah. it, it's usually the darker microphone is mostly what I'm using, and then the. 57 is just there to give it a little bit more teeth. Okay. But, 
but, but flavor to t- like a like a sprinkle to taste kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But give me the option. I put a four twenty one right. with a ribbon microphone on a cabinet because a four twenty one is more of a mid focused thing, and yeah. then ribbon microphones will just give you. I like the 421 sound flavor. too. It's got kind of like, to me, at least which, for... Uh, which 421? The Sennheiser is the one I'm thinking of. No, no, I no, know. But there's different versions. So oh, is there? In, in, oh, okay. in, in 2002, in 2002, Sennheiser um, changed the 421 to be cheaper to manufacture. Right. Uh, they changed the transformer to a cheaper transformer. They changed some other components inside and they they moved the factory to somewhere that was cheaper. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so they call that one, the 421 dash two. Oh, and the one that I, and, and this is why, this is why I've always struggled with 421s, um, in my studio life. Cause when I, when I was learning all this stuff back in the nineties, I only ever had the 421 dash U, mm. which was, which was that, that, uh, that, um, different sounding one. Mm. And it, so the, the, the 421 has a but there's even a vintage boost. one before the U. Yeah. Which is the white <laughs> one. Yeah. And I would love to get a set of those. <laughs> yeah. But those only because they're th- cool. Those are back yeah. from the sixties. But but yeah. from but from like like the early seventies until two thousand two, they were making the, they were making basically the same product, right? Mm. Um and, and those ones have a thicker low end. Mm. Uh not not bigger low end, but it's just like like a tighter low end. And they don't have they don't have a top end yeah. like voice boost, oh, and I mean, so they're, they're very different the, sounding mics. The new one, and, and the thing is, you it's got the, the different settings on it anyway yeah. to change how the microphone reacts. Yeah. I usually don't bother doing anything with it, but mm. I think I just had mine on the M mode, whatever that is. Right. Music. That's the that's no band filtering. Okay. So the, the, the M mode is, is completely flat. And as you di- click it towards the S mode, which is for speech, it's a high frequency and low frequency pass. Okay. And, and, and so they, the, the, they just narrow it down. Okay. Well, yeah. I just kept it on M. Uh, and then I would put ribbon microphones, whichever one uh, mm. fit the guitar that I had. Because uh, in the guitar sessions I did, I had a, what was it? An R8 on one guitar cabinet, and then I had an R10 on the other. How close was the R8? The R8 was about the same distance away okay. as the uh, 421, hmm. um, which was, well, no, actually, because the 421, I pretty much had that right up against the grill uh, at cap edge, and then I would go the opposite cap edge with the uh, the ribbon microphones, and I would go kind of where the grill meets the body of the microphone because that was approximately three inches away. Hmm. So I was using the rule of three. There. Yeah. And it sounded great. Sweet. With both microphones. Uh, I just noticed that the R10 had a little bit more of a higher frequency kind of teeth to it. Yeah. Whereas the R8 was like a really dark uh, kind of low mid focused so it was good for like rhythm tracks i, th- I found the dark the, the documentation on the aea because that's the aea right yeah. the documentation on the aea website says that the r8 is meant for distant miking mm-hmm. so like eight to ten feet right whereas the r10 was meant for close miking and so it it had a filter to cut well, off some low end i 
Use them both for yeah, <laughs> and that's why that's why I asked when you mentioned the R eight because it, it it was like I wonder how close he put it. Pretty damn close. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Can I ask a question to do? This is something I'm really wondering with ribbons. Uh, I see a lot of guys using ribbons on drums and, and really like close micing guitar caps. And what's your guys' thoughts on <laughs> SPL capacity on these on these microphones? And especially too, like uh, like modern ribbon microphones have such high SPL capacity that yeah. I'm not worried about it. Okay. Uh, the only thing I'd be worried about is if it, I hate that manufacturers did this, but active versus passive ribbons now. You have to actually, you can't do the rule of thumb anymore of being like, oh, it's a ribbon. Do not put phantom power in right. it. Because yeah. now that there's active ribbons, it's like, this needs phantom power Ooh, to power up. Okay. That said, phantom power itself doesn't damage the ribbon. It's the pop from engaging or disengaging, which is usually if you that's remove not true. a cable. That's that's fundamentally not true. So uh, so I haven't broken any of my ribbon microphones for accidentally so, turning on the phantom power. Right, because it because it's not it's not phantom power by itself. Yeah. It's that's phantom what I was power running up a poor like a, a improperly wired cable. Because if if the phantom power for some reason goes down the negative, it actually charges the, the 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 magnet yeah. and it actually inverts the polarity of one of them so if they're both positive then the then the, the if, if both magnets are positive then the ribbon sitting in between will just be pulled to one side oh yeah right and and, and, and majority and, of the time and, and when that's that when, happens that's, when, the that's when you're taking out a cable because you will if the, in if, the process of doing that, you will change. If they arc, if they if if the ground, which is where the phantom power runs, arcs across to the negative, hmm. sure. Yeah, yeah, and that's typically where people have that problem is they're taking out. I still so. tell I still tell students that don't turn on phantom power because the the little thing will go will will just burn up inside and you'll see this little puff of smoke come out of the <laughs> oh no <laughs> i mean it's it's a good rule of thumb if you have a ribbon microphone to not put put on phantom power unless yeah. you know that that ribbon microphone is an active ribbon microphone. Is there any company that you guys have found that is far superior in in protecting against this than others? Like, is there is there one company that stands above the rest? Well, certain company and to and well, to kind of play devil's advocate, is there another company out there that is very susceptible to these that's issues? Why uh, active ribbon microphones exist now okay. is to remove that remove that issue. problem. Gotcha. Part um, of it, yeah. yeah, yeah. So like they put a transformer. Almost like a preamp, even like the, there's these things you, you used to be able to get called like boosters and stuff. You could still get them, um, but ribbon microphone companies were realizing that people in uh, professional markets were using these things, so they just built them into their microphones. Okay. And so then microphones became active, and you need to then provide them phantom power to power these boxes. That were effectively oh. boosting the signal. Is that essentially like almost like a cloud lifter, like one of those little guys? It's exactly that. Same yeah. Thing. So, so it would be just like uh, having a cloud lifter built into the mic. Yeah. Oh, cool. And the purpose Ooh. of that is to not to eliminate the possibility of you potentially breaking uh, your ribbon microphone by yeah. having phantom power on. There's other advantages uh, to that too, though. There are like you get a hotter signal out yeah. of it. Um, there's a few other things that you get too. Mm. So, active ribbon microphones are great. One but of the biggest. I like old shit. 
Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah. One of the one of the biggest one of the biggest um, advantages or disadvantages of active ribbon mics is that their tone is no longer influenced by the preamp, like mm. the actual mic preamp that you plug it into, and they're also less uh, proximity effect. Really, uh, or supposedly? Uh, th- th- that depends on the on, on the amp, I guess. It like probably nothing, it depends preamp, on but... on the microphone a little bit as well, but. Uh, <laughs> Your passive ribbon microphones seem to be more um, susceptible to proximity. Yeah, I think that has to do more with the with the preamp you plug it into. Because, like, I I have a whole bunch of outboard preamps, and the Rupert Neve preamps, like the the Portico series, um, they're a lot less a lot less prone to problems of of proximity uh, because it's a it's a really high impedance. Whereas when I plug a plug a ribbon into into the old Neve, the ten seventy three, mm-hmm. it has a really low impedance. It's all, it's it's like it's uh, like one thirtieth the the impedance, and so the proximity seems to be more of an issue. Right, uh, and so you. But have, that's just an impedance problem. I know, but that's 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 the thing that makes the microphone react differently to different mic preamps, right? Yeah. It, it's the the circuit impedance that's imposed on the microphone itself. Hmm. And, and, and that I, I actually use with ribbon mics, I actually use different preamps specifically for different, um, different effects or different tonal changes hmm. to affect that microphone. And when, when I have an active mic, uh, an active ribbon, I don't get that option. It, it's like, this is the sound and there's very little I can do with that. Real. So yeah. just to recap what you said, so even like you have that active ribbon, it doesn't matter whether you're running an API or an Eve at that point or a 1073, like they're, it's going to maintain a pretty steady tonal quality is what you're Pretty saying. steady. Yeah. It, it'll have, it'll have much less influence from the microphone preamp. Very cool. Interesting. Than, than if it didn't have an active portion. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And that's, um, AEA has, has documentation on that. That that's one of the reasons that they, that was one of the several reasons I'm sure that they came out with the cloud lifter was so that they could, they could say with the cloud lifter, this is what our microphone is supposed to sound like, right? This cloud lifter is matched to the right impedance and the right kind of circuitry that our microphone will give you the sound we designed it to have, Mm. or more specifically, they were talking about their older micro, their, their recreations of older mics, like the RCA 44, that this is what a 44 is supposed to sound like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then they make active and passive versions of everything now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because they know that there are the guys out there that want the passive because it's going to sound different than the active. Yeah. 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 Just different flavors, right? Yeah. Yeah. Essentially. And then there's, and then there's the guys that just say, I want a 44. I don't want to have a 44 and have to choose different mic preamp to get optimized. Just let me plug it into something and get that sound. The sound, yeah. Right. yeah, which is cool. I mean, I'd be happy with a vintage or a. Oh current. man, I saw yeah. one on sale on eBay about a year ago um, for three grand, and I almost, oh, almost did it. Almost, there like, is I, I was one so on Reverb. It's not an RCA. It's uh, AEA. Oh yeah, yeah, beat the shit. Um, oh really? Yeah. Oh yeah. man, which makes me want it more. <laughs> <laughs> more uh, character, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so like, it has like bits of rust on the grill and oh, stuff like that. Uh, but seven hundred bucks. 
Wow. Before shipping, but still, it must not be, it must not be functional. Whatever. I'm a nerd. (laughs) I will figure it out. I will fix that thing. (laughs) Yeah. It'll become a character piece in the end, right? Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you guys ever get into, uh, this is kind of, I'm, I think I already know the answer to this, but you know, I like to go around all the different antique stores and I actually know a few guys in town that are selling like super vintage stuff, like mics that you would see coming out of like the fifties and stuff like that. Like, would you ever, you guys ever get into utilizing that kind of flavors or would it even be worth uh, it? With I know type of enough about microphones, like going to the antique mall here in this, uh, in the city here, uh, there is always a one spot where there's like some microphones that are meant to be old. Mm-hmm. And I, I I know enough to figure out what those models are mm-hmm. and then look them up to see what is. Last time I was at the, the antique mall, mm. the microphones that this person was selling as antique microphones weren't actually antique. Oh. They were like early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. And they were selling it for more than what you could buy in new. Oh, my God. So... That they were just kind of going on the fact that these microphones looked like they're from the fifties. Um, sure. Okay. Okay. So you have to be careful with that stuff. And okay. I mean, I'm, I'm of the, I'm the kind of person where I see, like, I go to the, an antique place and I see something. I'm like, okay, I'm skeptical. I'm gonna look up and see if I can find this microphone on the internet and see if I can buy it new and what that price is mm. or does reverb has have this and what are their prices? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes um, a lot of sense. I don't feel that differently. Um, I, I like gear that works Yeah, far more than gear that I have to fix. Yeah. <laughs> right. And, and, and the older stuff you have to fix more. You know, I have a, I have a couple of, I have a couple of dynamic mics from the sixties that, they sound really good for their thing. Mm-hmm. I had to repair both of them. And thankfully they were easy repairs, mm. but I had to, I had to crack them open and make them work. Right. And you know, it, it, I probably had them for like eight months before I, before yeah. I was motivated enough to, to crack them open, you know? And so it, it depends. I don't use those two mics all that often because mm-hmm. they're not everyday mics. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, if I had, if I had enough for a set of something, you know, like if I had, if I had three Telefunken D19s, you know, that's the, the Beatles drum mic, for example, I, and, and, and if they worked, I would use them all the time because they're an interesting sounding thing. And, and I like the vintage character of things, Absolutely. but they're also not worth to me the difference between the cost difference between them and uh, a Nautix D4, you know, it's not worth that kind of difference. Mm. Yeah, I'm not because I'm not going to see that in business. No, yeah. not the hard way. <laughs> and do you guys find like could you guys replicate that kind of vintage sound anyway using uh, plugins or any type of outboard gear? Uh, if say if yeah. you wanted to, if it called I mean, for that, I think obviously. in in. In the context of a mix, you're just not going to notice. That's the thing, right? Like, it, it, I guess it depends. We're talking about characteristics that are pretty minute. If if you if you put it on certain things, like I would use those kind of things for for like tom mics, 
You know, Alan Parsons used to use D19s as Tom mics, and they sounded great. But the difference between a 1970s Pink Floyd Tom sound and a Tom sound that I can get out of a D4. Great example. Um, Joey's, Joey and I have talked about this a lot, but I, I, have, I have this set of Bear Dynamics pencil condensers that are on an arm that they just clip onto the drum rim. And they're just pencil condensers. They sound really good. Mm-hmm. They stay out of the way. They're designed to be hit by the drummer. No problem. I put up them against the D4. I can't tell the difference in a mix. I can tell the difference when they're side by side. But once I get guitars and vocals and bass in there, I can't tell the difference. Yeah, Even my sense. 1176 test that I'm doing here, mm-hmm. like uh, side by side, you can tell there's a difference between all three of these 1176 clones. Uh, and I mean, you listen to it by itself. The proper, like the real deal 1176 is definitely like the better sounding. Mm-hmm. But the differences between the two cheaper ones, I don't feel like it's that much bigger of a difference that you need to pay 10 times as much to mm-hmm. get the cleaner or well maybe cleaner's the it's a tighter sound I, I would say right so and the thing is is like i know enough about electronics that i could just rip one of these apart anyway mm-hmm. swap out it's probably a transformer <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah right yeah. And then I got that. I got maybe like eighty percent of that sound. Right? Like I, I would say, like these are pretty close, as is. Right. Oh, oh, that's super cool. Yeah, I would love to play with that. How, what's the biggest difference you've noticed so far going from in the box eleven seventy six or just any compressor versus outboard so far? It's funner. Yeah, right. I think that would be my thing. I, I know I have my inner gear slut is there. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> so that's my first thing, dude. Yeah, like, I don't want to do it with these right now because we're tracking through them. Right. But, like, the funnest part of me using this is pushing multiple buttons and just watching the meters freak out because right. no longer, like, unlike a software version of these things, mm-hmm. like, when you do like all buttons in, like the needle stays at zero and then it's going to show you how much gain reduction you're going to get. Yeah. It doesn't act like the real deal does. Cause right. you saw earlier today when I yes. engaged two buttons, uh, it went from zero to like plus cause it's just, it doesn't know what to do or I don't know if that's actually what is going on with right. it. But to me, it's like, it doesn't know what to do. And then the meter just dances that's so cool though. Which it's kind of like cool the, to watch, right? It's kind of like the the voodoo and the magic of it a little bit, right? It's yeah. to me the the outboard gear seems to be almost a living, breathing thing versus versus yeah. um, not that the plugins are are a sterile version of them, but there's just more unpredictability, I guess. That's what I'm assuming. Like being a person Maybe. who a uh, thing I have noticed with using uh, the hardware. Uh, 1176s here is that th- they do have a different feel to them like th- uh, the proper 1176 I feel is very responsive to mm. my movements mm. uh, and I've noticed that the needle like when I'm pushing a signal through it like the needle seems to go with the voice and, and like you y- can visually see 
a change in volume of what's going on or something like there's a characteristic in there mm-hmm. whereas like the warm for example i mm. i feel like it's sluggish yeah in comparison now would there like obviously would there be ever an instance where you would choose the sluggishness over the snappiness of the of the ua uh yeah well i mean there's there's also an audio quality of all three of these uh which is radical well, I don't want to say radically different because I, I do feel like these are pretty close to one another. Um, but if I was going for like a more darker sound, I'd probably choose the warm audio over the 1176 or the Clark Technic. That said, uh, if I was going for a brighter sound, and it's very small how much brighter it is, I would go with the Clark Technic over the 1176. Really? But if I was going for a tight sound, which is probably going to be majority of the time, and I had all three of these options available to me, I'd go with the proper 1176 because it is a tighter feeling compressor. Right. Do you think that the the 1176 has a slower attack then than the warm? Or do you think it's just something like you said, I, something to do with transformers? or uh, It's probably just the circuitry in the, uh, in the meter. Because okay. not all meters are made the same, right? Right. Yeah. Um, I definitely have. Uh, I have. Um, I have two different stereo uh, uh, diode bridge compressors at the studio, and one of them is high end boutique, um, handmade, and those meters are tight and super responsive. Sick. Right. Whereas the other one, handmade boutique, but much more on the cheaper end. Mm. And those meters are, they're much more, they're much more just kind of, I see they're moving and they're not much use. They're, they're not much use to me beyond that. They just look really cool. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and like a, a thing I don't like about the cheaper ones mm-hmm. is this orange. I was going to say, yeah, the glow looks even different. Hey, eh? like, the, yeah. Yeah. Like I know what they're trying to do. They're trying to go for that. Like, this is based off of an old thing. Let's give it that old orangey look (laughs) and like cool. But I I do prefer the real deal because like you look at it, it's like, it's not overly orange. It's just, it's a warm light just to show you what's going on. But they're not trying to gimmick it out or anything like that. It just is what it is. And I mean, they, they purposely tried to recreate the original, uh, uh, revision D series, but there are obviously a few components that are slightly different. Do you guys ever think they'll release a Blueface remake? Just seeing revision how much hype there is, yeah, yeah. There's there's companies that do already. Yeah, there, there are companies that already do a revision A. Really? I uh, Hairball is one. Yeah, the thing about revision A is do. it's um, I don't know, like. All the revisions leading up to revision D are improvements on the original right. circuit. Um, Te- like, they're technical improvements on the and and, and that was that yeah. was that was the thing is is they're they're technically better, mm-hmm. lower noise floor, less distortion, mm-hmm. um, uh, cl- uh, more transparent, mm-hmm. um, everything. Yeah. Whereas uh, whereas the revision A, which revision was, A wasn't even I think class A yet. I think it was like class B. 
but it was but, but the, the the thing that people love about it is its distortion characteristics right. yeah and, th- and that was the thing right is is it it distorted in a really nice way that everyone seemed to love on vocals yeah and then there's different i think input and output transformers transformers yeah uh, um, which is definitely going to change the the mm. characteristic of the compressor and how it sounds. Mm. Um, but yeah, th- there's companies that make revision A's. Uh, you can even get do-it-yourself kits where you can build your own that revision cool. A. You can get do-it-yourself kits it's to get hairball. revision Fs. Yeah, Hairball, you can build a... Hairball has an A, a D, and F. F, that's right. So do you guys figure like... Uh, because I've always been curious about this. Do you think building, like doing one of these kits is a really cool way to understand yes. outboard gear? Yes. Yeah. Could it's, be it's a really cool good way, way to understand electronics. Yeah. Because cool. um, it's, you, it's steep learning curves if you don't know anything about electronics. Um, but if you get the right starter kit then it's a really good way to to learn the basics, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and these circuits aren't, like the 1176 circuit's nothing... Complicated. Super complicated, no. Yeah. Uh, there's a f- there's like a input transformer, output transformer. I don't know if there's any more transformers in it. Nope, just the two. Yeah. Is there uh, any specific company you would recommend to the ultra noobs like me out there for who have never embarked on something like Hairball. that? Hairball. Hairball. They yeah. give you a step-by-step really? thing. Yeah. They even have videos that show. Oh my also, cool. um, microphoneparts.com. They, uh, it's um, Matt from Recording Hacks. Right. And uh, Roswell Audio. Um, anyway, he does the same thing with microphones. And has some like, and he's a he's a microphone like savant, mm. and he he has he has really easy kits and really complicated kits, cool. and they're not all that expensive. And his whole thing is to try to make the do the DIY thing easy and cheap. And so he's got he's even got kits where everything you need comes in the same kit with really good instructions and videos. And um, so they're a good they're a good starter as well. That's so cool. And in the end, do you have a high quality product that you're left with as I well? Like depending s- on how you put it together. I would obviously. say if I would say if you're if you're comparing them from the from the 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 cheap like hundred dollar mics up to the up to the expensive ten thousand dollar mics, he's he, most of his things probably end up purposefully middle of the road ish. Cool. Yeah, yeah. To get like high end stuff, you have to buy high end electrical yeah. components. Oh, yeah. right, right. Which cost a lot of money like, yeah like a like a good transformer is going to be a hundred plus right yeah and that's where that's where a lot of the costs come in you know yeah um like a, yeah like the good quality transformers for ribbon mics <coughs> even on the used market well no the used market gets crazy um let's say you're just buying from lindell hmm. uh or edcore or something the good quality ones for ribbon mics are gonna they're gonna be 100 to 200 bucks really just for a kit no, no, just for the oh, ribbon. just for the component. Like just for single the, component. Just, just, oh, just wow. for the transformer. Oh, yeah, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing, right? Like, um, like it's it, you know, it, it's tough. Like, a, like, a, like a really good quality tube could cost you, you know, thirty, forty, eighty bucks. You know, depending on what you want. Speaking of, I just replaced all the tubes on my um, on my weight tanks. Okay. And and I I went with the manufacturer's specifications. And it ended up costing me about fifteen bucks a tube. 
That's not bad. Yeah, yeah. He said he he said he he uses these he uses these um, new old stock tubes out of Russia that were largely used in TVs, but he he said he just found them really musical, huh. and so they're not they're not high in demand, and so they they can be found really cheap. Nice. So he said he, he said he bought something like fifty thousand of them. Why not? Yeah, yeah, it's, right. That. Um, you get better deals that way too. If and it's I bought like them fifteen bucks a tube. If he bought like fifty thousand, he probably got that price down as mm-hmm. a result. I'm I'm probably exaggerating with the fifty thousand, but still, I mean, even if he bought, a he's bunch, probably got enough that he doesn't need to worry about getting yeah. tubes for a while. Yeah, yeah. If and ever, it, it was it was really helpful to it was really helpful to be able to talk to him because I had one of mine, one of the weight tanks um, went out of calibration with the other one. Okay. And so, so I, I had to tone out tonal wise. They seem to be similar enough that I could still use them in stereo, but I had to have the input gain on one, like, like four steps higher than the input gain on the other to have them balanced. Um, but it, it, uh, with the, with the change, they, they work great. Cool. Yeah. That's been a thing. I, uh, you mentioning calibration just made me think of a, another thing that I don't like about the warm. Oh yeah. The calibration yes. uh, is on the back, which is useless. <laughs> well, but on the, 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 the meter calibration or yeah. The, yeah, the meter okay. calibrator is on the back of the unit. Yeah. And it's a really tiny flat head that you need to get in. A there. lot of them are on the inside though. Well, uh, the eleven seventy six ones in the front, right between the knobs. So, 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 like, yeah. there is yeah. a yeah. calibration for the meter itself, which yeah. you shouldn't touch, right? But the eleven seventy six then has an additional calibration, That's just right. so you the, that you can get it to zero in case the meter just decides that it's not going to be at zero. Yeah, yeah, and it's at the front, and there is one on the front for the Clark. But the warm audio one is on the back. So all of my diode bridge compressors, uh, they're all on the ins like that same that same adjustment is all on the inside of the unit. That's annoying. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. like but those things do fall out of calibration. So I, like I think that's I, the I funny thing though, to... is 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 the uh um the one the the cheaper of the two, it is it fell out of calibration and shipping, but it hasn't it hasn't given me an issue since. And then the more expensive of the two was perfect right out of the box right. r- from shipping. And, and I bought them all used, but, uh, and they, I haven't had to touch them and I've owned both of them for, well, it's been six months now. Hmm. Yeah. Well, this 1176, I've had to recalibrate it like twice. I had the same problem with, with my hairball unit. Um, every, every, every few weeks, every month, maybe I have, I feel like I'm, I'm having to tweak it just a little bit. Yeah. It, it um, didn't fall out like severely. A decibel. That's it. At right. most. Yeah. 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 If that. Yeah. Is this very similar to, um, this reminds me of things I've heard about the Fairchild 670, uh, like how every studio, like they all sounded different and namely because every studio's engineers was calibrating them slightly different or in Could their be. own way. Is uh, that kind of similar? More likely because it was hand made handmade handmade so everyone initially sounded different and then there's something like how many how many tubes are in each one they're like 11 tubes in each channel something like that uh like the 670 or the yeah. 660 let's say the 670 
670 has like 22 tubes Holy and 18 transformers. Something like that. Yeah. That's why it and so takes up like 10 spaces in your rack. So or, many, <laughs> there's so many, um, there's so many components that are high wear components like tubes. Right. They change dramatically through their lifestyle Absolutely. or their, their, their lifespan. And so <coughs> you never know what, um, what they're going to, yeah. What they're going to be, right? Is this why people have a hard time maintaining those things too? Like yes. it's cost-wise just because they're always you're well, replacing tubes and stuff? That particular thing, it's uh, it's hard to get your hands on them because there's not a lot made. I think probably less than 2,000 were ever made. Oh, yeah. Oh, probably. Really? That makes sense. If, uh, if, like, if you look at getting a actual Model A of the 1176, there was less than a thousand made oh really uh, I thought that, even I, if you wow. extend it out to uh revision b and c because that would be considered like the end i think that's when they switch from blue stripe to the more black um uh but so if you include up to c uh i think there's only 1500 in total of the blue stripes mm-hmm. uh i'm probably wrong but but it, it was something you go on the universal like audio website and like they will tell you like yeah. this is how many were made right yeah uh, and so like that's why a blue stripe it's costs worth. like 10 grand right to and, buy and, and why chris lord algae has three of them right <laughs> it, it wasn't a black lion that modeled his favorite the bluey or his favorite one and they named it the blue i think it was black Lion. oh no that, there, there was waves audio it was waves, waves audio. audio. Oh, i mean for the the the, the actual outboard oh unit. maybe um, I don't think. I mean, I, I don't know. I, it doesn't make sense that Black Lion would be the company to do it. Yeah, no. Maybe I'm thinking Black Lion else. usually does more converter stuff. Okay. Well, they they have a, they they have a new ownership, new management, so they have new product lines. Okay. Um, that are really interesting. It, they, they kind of seem to be chasing the Lindell uh, product line, um, but with a little bit of a twist. There's only a handful of companies I know that make anything in the revision A to C range. And that's like, um, Stam Audio has one. I actually want to get my hands on one of those because it has a switch to go from A, D, and F, I think. So all does, built into one box. So really? does the Mohawk. Oh, I, I'm not familiar with Mohawk. M-O-H-O-G. They're a, they're a company out of, another company out of Seattle. You will fall in love with the way they design their front panel. And I'm not going to spoil it because it's worth be- seeing it for the first time. Really? Um, but they have- They, they have, have a switch to switch between the circuits? They don't, have, they don't have switches to switch between the circuits, but to switch between transformers. Blue screen of death. Um, <laughs> no, no. no. To, to switch between the transformers <laughs> rather, than, rather than complete circuits. But it, 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 the intention is to give you two different, two different tonal sets. So you have a Carnhill set and a Edcore set. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And I, I, they're, they're the of all the eleven seventy sixes out there that I don't have because I have I have five channels of eleven seventy six in the racks uh, from three different manufacturers. But of all the ones out there that I don't have, they're the ones that I want. The Mohawk. It's specifically because of that, because cool. of the two different transformers. I would like it if Universal Audio would make a 
because <laughs> then you can get your discount <laughs> uh, yeah. it's not that much actually like my discount on uh this guy is only a thousand bucks that's, that's pretty good lot. i'll take it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that brings i mean that, i'm that still paying your... a lot of money to get one yeah right right so i want one so bad so bad i uh if i bought it outright i might get a better discount I don't know. I'd have to chat with the guys at HHB to find out. Right. Can I ask you guys a really, really noob question? Seeing that I'm the noob in the room. Noob. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Can What exactly, like I have suspicions of what this is, but with all this outboard gear, like really with all gear, um, I don't exactly know all the terms and exactly what they're doing. So when when I think of Transformers, like I'm very confused. I think I know. But I don't know. You know what I mean? So what exactly is, what is a transformer doing to audio? Because I even see a lot of hybrid mixers that still like Sylvia Massey being one, where she has a giant old school, just a transformer she's passing audio through. Well, no, she's passing, like, are you talking about like her pickle technique and stuff? Not the pickle, no. She'll just have like a set of uh, very old school transformers and she just basically passes all her mixes through it. So transformers do just in in general, assuming the transformers are decent enough quality. Uh, transformers, their first function is to convert the signal from some from from one set of variables to another set of variables. So okay. it might be to it might be to change the voltage and the resistance from one thing to another. It yeah. might be to and I mean, we AC have, to DC is another yeah, thing they can do. Like, yeah, um, it, it's mostly just changing one signal type to another. Right, and 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 it might be to isolate isolate a signal from another. So like a ground interruption, uh, like a ground lift on your on your DI box, mm-hmm. something like that, uh, might be done through a transformer. Um, the uh, or with a transformer involved in the circuit. Anyway. The the musical benefit of transformers is they tend to distort in very uh, pleasant ways. Yes, that's what I was thinking. And they tend to induce clipping because transformers are physical objects that have a maximum input and a maximum output voltage. Okay. And so if you if you exceed the input voltage of that transformer, then it will actually just clip the voltage to its limit because it physically can't deal with anything more. Right. Yeah. And then that clipping induces harmonic distortion. Okay. And, well, and, and harmonic distortion can be induced even, even before the clipping happens, uh, just by nature of the metal that acts as the kind of the bridge between one side of the transformer and the other side of the transformer. Right. 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 Um, you know, that's, that's, that's why, that's why something like the shadow Hills compressor has three different, has three different transformers in it, an iron transformer, a nickel transformer, and a steel transformer, because all three sound different. Oh, that is so rad. Yeah. yeah. And it's it's subtle. It's the subtle kind of things a mastering engineer will pick up on, and the rest of us probably wouldn't. Right. Right? But it is... I don't like that compressor, because there's too much involved in it. It's just I, too crazy, hey? I, I use that compressor a lot, because it's such a low CPU usage um, on, on the UAD system. Right. right. Okay. And, and so I, I love the optical compressor on vocals and I love the VCA compressor on, um, on buses. Mm. I, I just I, want 
simplicity. Give me input, output, attack, release. Like an well, but seven, or, six, right? And then like maybe some ratio settings. But that's the thing is if if, if you just look at it as that, it is that simple. Like the optical, the optical I section. I know it's that simple, but the other <laughs> things distract me and <laughs> there's too much, too many lights. Yeah, so is it similar it. to like almost like the distressor where it's like a kind of like a Swiss army knife compressor? No. Uh, no. Distressor is probably closer to like an 1176. Oh, okay. Yeah. A distressor has, a, a distressor is a digitally controlled analog compressor. So very similar to the FMR audio, mm-hmm. except higher component quality. But their, their, their models are based off of mostly 1176 um, uh, features with one setting that is supposed to be based off the LA-2A, I think. Right, yes. Yeah. And I think, and I think because I think you have the two. nuke mode, though, is based off of the all buttons in of yes. 1176. Yeah. I don't know if it's exactly the same, but. The idea is that yeah. this is your all buttons in mode of this. Yeah. Can I ask you guys another question about like, so, um, and this is something that I'm racking my brain over big time right now, just as far as, cause you, you see, especially for Mike Pries, right. Um, but just talking about the shadow Hills kind of got me started thinking about this in the room here. Um, 500 series versus regular. Like what's the difference is if I got in to start building a 500 series of uh, collection of Mike Pries, would they be, on par with the with the regular ones or are they inferior in any way depends on depends on your rack okay because the, the the power supply the power supply is the big difference between a lot of the a lot of the 500 series and the standalone units because like uh let's the rupert neve portico series um they put a lot of effort into their power supply so that they they're supplying as much power as that preamplifier may want Whereas their 500 series, there's no power supply involved from their side. So the circuit, while the circuit isn't the same, the circuit is pretty close, but it's dependent on like, do you give it a cheap power supply or do you give it an expensive power supply, right? And so I I think that's the biggest difference from end result. Uh, But if you're you're condensing a, a larger unit, like an 1176, Mm-hmm. I have I have the Hairball 1176 and I have four 500 series 1176 and they all sound dramatically different but I find the Hairball which is the cheaper of the four of them mm-hmm. or of the five of them to sound just slightly bigger yeah okay because they can fit in bigger components whereas whereas the like they have it specifically on 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 one of the 500 series. It just has an output transformer. Yeah. Actually, on all four of them, they just have output transformers. They don't also have input transformers. Whereas the, whereas the hairball has an input and an output transformer, right? So you're getting more of that the harmonic distortion that we talked about earlier. A little bit of the harmonic distortion it, based on based on the bigger transformers, like physically larger. Mm-hmm. Maybe they can handle more voltage. I don't actually know how that works, mm-hmm. but. Yeah. Um, but uh, but there's there's definitely something to do with that because the componentry is the same. Although I've heard enough gear manufacturers talk about how just how you lay out the components on the circuit board actually has an influence on the sound as well. Um, so yeah, supposedly a three twelve versus a five twelve versus a f- uh, two twelve two twelve. All three are different. Yeah, despite really? being similar circuits. Yeah. I'd Supposedly, I, 
haven't heard a three or a two twelve, <coughs> so I've only ever heard a five twelve in the clones album. So yeah. So obviously the train, like, correct me if I'm wrong on this. Um, like my pursuit of getting all this outboard mic prees is to get that weight, that yeah. weight in the sound. Um, would you, would you essentially be able to, and I think you guys just answered this, but would I be able to get that same type of effect from a 500 series versus yes. like you said, depending on your power. Supply. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're going for like, a, a 1608 sound, for example, mm-hmm. like, but you don't want to spend the, I think it's 160,000 to get a 16 channel. Yeah. <laughs> the start yeah, shit. And that's yeah. like, you still then have like, I think 20 empty racks for <laughs> putting EQs in those things. Right. Um, anyway, uh, if you were going for like that sound, mm-hmm. like a 512 preamp is the, I believe it's the same preamp. It's either the 512 or the 312. I can't remember which is in there. Mm. Um, but the 512 and the 312 are rel- are supposed to be close to each other. Supposedly the 312 is smoother, but I, I don't know. Yeah. So if you guys were starting from scratch uh, and you're, you know, you're at a point where, okay, I'm going to start spending money on this, um, on my pre's, would you guys save your money and go for the, would you just save up and get the, the, the old school ones or would you be inclined to go 500 series? So mm. myself, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be going for old stuff because old stuff is unnaturally high cost. Right, right, right. And 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 the the extra the extra girth that a that a like a, a ten seventy three from the seventies would give you isn't worth it to me. Right, because I I can get a five hundred series ten seventy three for about twelve hundred bucks. Right, and I can get a racked ten seventy three from the seventies hmm. for about four, five, six grand. Right. Right. And, and the, the racked one will definitely sound bigger and have more mojo. Yeah. But are you going to make that six grand back? Are you going to make a... that back? Yeah. Exactly. Right. What about though, those, like I, I, I just recently seen that AMS Neve, they're putting out the 1073s and they have dual. So they have two, two, uh, pre's for, I think it's about almost three grand American. So that still seems like fifteen hundred per pre. Yeah, it's still quite a bit, hey. Like, so it's still not worth the difference. It depends on your situation, though. Like, if you're just doing like two channels, maybe that's worth it. Yeah. Like, so if you're doing like a lot of hip hop, maybe spending the extra money on having the authentic thing might be worth it. Yeah. Someone in my situation where I need more pre's. It's like me. It's, I don't know, like maybe something like the warm audio version right. for, right. I think it's like a, a thousand bucks for two in a single wow. yeah. 19 inch rack, right? So like, in a, like how close is that going to get you to the real deal? Right. I even heard like from a lot of people saying like even these new, the new Neve AMS Neve pre's there, they're, they're in, not in the a same. sense, they're not the same anyway. If you want to get close to the same, you have to get ba- uh, BAE. Right. I've heard uh, good things. But like, you're still paying like f- almost the equivalent price as getting an actual vintage one. Right? Yeah. BAE or Heritage, they both build. Heritage has a cheap line as well. That right. gets confusing. But Heritage Audio have a, like a top end line that is supposedly comparable to BAE. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's the thing is, is everybody is a clone, mm -hmm. right? At this point, everybody, even, even AMS yeah. Neve, who are technically the authentic one, yeah. they're just a clone because they're building it 40 years later anyway. Exactly. Those right? same components aren't available anymore. Yeah. Right. Rupert, Rupert yeah. Neve himself says that the 1073 was a flawed design oh, and everything he's built since then has been to improve upon the design. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh, the porticos is him taking that the concept of what the 1073 was and like modernizing it. Oh, cool. Turning it into something that he sounds, he thinks sounds more musical. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause his, his, his I heard him say this at a conference once, which is just the most amazing thing. Um, uh, he says he, he was talking about, he was talking about his big channel strip, the Portico two, I think. And, and he was saying, say, it says something about it only being like, like 60% efficient with electricity. <laughs> and then he, and then he followed it up by saying, but when we're talking about music, who cares about efficiency? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and I mean, I loved, I, I, I downloaded when I, when I decided to get into the Portico stuff, I downloaded a shootout of like 17 different 1073 things. Hmm. And, uh, they were all, they were all labeled. They're all labeled like a through a through S or something. So it was like a blind test. Kind of it intended to be a blind test, but you also downloaded a text file that said, that said what they actually were. Cool. Right. So you could, you could, you could listen to them and decide which ones. And my two favorite were the old, the old 1073 that was in the test hmm. and the portico was number two. And then, and then it, I can't remember what came after that, but that was enough for me to say, I'm going to just invest in the portico because that's, that's, the, it's, it's the more modern, so more reliable manufacturing. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds almost as good as that original, or I like the sound of it almost as much. Mm. And I'm not going to think of it beyond that. Yep. And I've, I've had as many as, I had as many as nine channels at one point. You had quite a few. Wow. Yeah. When that's I sweet. First hung out at your studio. Yeah. There was quite a bit. I'm down to three now and I'm so upset that I got rid of them. Right. I sold them to pay bills. Yeah. <laughs> well, although that. one of them, <laughs> one of them I sold, I sold my four channel. I had a four channel rack unit, just like the worm. And uh, I sold it to buy the API two band EQ, the API fifty five hundred, mm. and I'm glad I did that. That was a good. That was a good. Uh, good trade. Good trade. Yeah, yeah. I was. Ha I'm happy with that because I get a ton of use out of that API. I'd like to get like eight channels of the portico, but That's they, they keep getting more and more expensive. Yeah. yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. when they first came out, they were like actually affordable. They, they were like five or 600. It was 600. Uh, L&M was selling them for 630 uh, for per 500 series unit. Yeah. And, and the, the four channel rack mount was 3,200. And I think I, I negotiated with Darcy to, to bring it down to like 29. Wow. Yeah. That's pretty sweet, though. Not a bad price for that. Really. He oh he well, he, this he price matched. He price matched. That's what it was. Right. But this is like back when they first came out. Right now, it's not like, that now. like it's. Uh, I think five hundred series module. Like eight hundred bucks. Like yeah, eight hundred bucks. Yeah. And they yeah, sell the it in the used market four. for six fifty. <laughs> Holy man! Yeah, the strip of four I think is approaching four grand. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So. I, I, I had the, I had, I took my four channel unit into, um, Lindsay over at AudioWorks 
to get a channel repaired. I had a channel that was getting uh, something funky on it. And he opened it up and he called me up and he says, this thing is so overbuilt. Are you, I can't, I can't believe you would actually invest in this. <laughs> Cause he, he, he said, he said it was, it was uh, like, like the, uh, the solder traces were so over, overfilled, but like in, in, a, in, in, in a proper way. Right. Mm. And he, he just couldn't understand a lot of the design choices that were made, but he, he found the problem easy enough. But, uh, but yeah, he was, he, he was, he was really surprised that it was, that it was that over whatever. Right. It, yeah. It's over-engineered. I think. Over-engineered. Like the, sure, uh, yeah. Well, I think he says something along the lines of like the, uh, what is it? Frequency response to it goes mm. up to a hundred K. Yeah. Something like that. Whoa. And he, he did that because he did like these blind AB tests between different circuits that he was trying out. Mm. And he, he noticed that younger engineers were actually hearing a difference when there was harmonic distortion up to a hundred Hertz. hundred thousand. Yeah. Yeah. Or yeah. hundred thousand Hertz, hundred K Hertz is what I meant to say. But yeah. So at that point, is it something they're like audibly hearing or are they feeling that or? Uh, it's not something you can audibly hear as a human being, right? but you certainly would react to it. Right. Because it's there. Yeah. And so it, it's probably something sim- similar to almost A-listing in computers where it's so high of information it's coming back and it's affecting the way you hear. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's like, um, have you ever, have you ever put a multi-band distortion unit on, on something and then soloed the low band? Right. Like you, no, you'll, you, yet. You, you try it at home and just, just solo the low band and maybe, maybe at like 200 Hertz or maybe 150 Hertz. And then, and then, add in your distortion or just distort that. You'll notice that the distortion takes on a lot of life much higher up as it goes. And, and, mm. and, and, and that's how like the harmonic distortion stuff works in both ways. Like mm. just, because, just because there's distortion happening at a higher frequency, something that you can't hear, it has influence. There's, there's almost like ripple effects down the frequency band. That makes sense. <laughs> that add in... All of that stuff. I just yeah. coughed on your couch. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> People uh, will look back at the date of this. <laughs> yeah, those three guys died. That's right. <laughs> May first. It's the petri dish podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, right? <laughs> um, yeah, but I think, but I think that's, I, I think that's the, that's the thing is, is you lose a lot of that stuff otherwise. You know, and I mean, you can make the argument that that tape doesn't have the cap- the capability of 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 having frequencies up that high. You can make mm-hmm. the argument that that vinyl doesn't have like vinyl mm. is is sometimes limited to like sixteen thousand hertz. Really, you know? Um, yeah, it, but it, once you're distorting at that point, it. I don't know if vinyl does the same thing, but like tape or any electronic component where like, let's say you limit it to. 20k. Mm-hmm. Once it once the harmonic distortion hits that 20k, it's then going to go back because it's like that energy has to go somewhere. Yeah. So. Yeah. And that's that's what happens. When it's probably what happens to your hearing to some extent 
mm. with these things that can go up to a hundred K. Yeah. Or, you know, you're hitting your converter and your converter is going to have to do something with that information. So. Right. That's crazy. Have you guys seen, we're just talking about distortion units. Have you guys seen game changers audios, uh, plasma rack yet? I've seen things about it. I haven't looked into it though. Plug in? Super cool. Uh, no, they, they started as just a guitar pedal and okay. now they moved it to a rack, uh, rack system. And I know the first person I seen using it was Vance Powell. Mm. And then now Warren Hewitt's got his hands on it. I know it's going to go away. It's just so unique sounding. It's like, it's like, like for me, I would love to use it on a drum bus and just right. like parallel that in. But I mean, it just sounds like you're electrocuting the fuck out of shit, yeah. which to me it's pretty awesome. <laughs> I hope we're allowed to swear on this podcast. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. We have um, a we have an explicit rating. Sweet. Yeah. That's awesome. It, and it just, it's just to me sounds like something's getting electrocuted. And I guess that's to me just proves to me like why even I though I don't have a lot of experience the, with outboard stuff, it just I'm pretty sure that's how it goes about doing it cuz if I remember correctly with like the guitar pedal of it, yeah. it is literally a pulse of plasma exactly. that you're sending a signal through. Yeah, this is just a huge, a way bigger <laughs> version, and I, I can't decide whether I like it because of the sound or I just want people to see shit getting electrocuted on yeah. my, in my control room. <laughs> I'm not sure yet, but it is really cool. Something along those lines. Yeah. I saw a guitar pedal. And I can't remember where I saw it, but I saw a guitar pedal that uh, that actually has a container where you fill up with liquid. Oh, and wow. it, it That's has to have new of this year, I think. That yeah, was like winter it, nam that that was. Enough. It has no to way. have. It has to have this 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 container of liquid filled in order to pass signal, and the tone of it gets changed or changes with whatever liquid is in there. That's so, amazing. So it, it sounds different with blood. It sounds different <laughs> with milk. It sounds different with wine. It sounds oh. different with water. Like yeah, I just. Look at that, and I know that someone's going to be gross with it. Oh, absolutely! absolutely. Yeah. But absolutely. I'm thinking right now, like almost like Sylvia Massey with the potato and the pickle, just doing right? stuff that is, yeah. Like I could just see having a band in the room and something that small. I don't want to inspire them up my in some ways. Hopefully, not pickle, blood though. in there. But <laughs> well, I, I, the first thing I did was talk to talk to a metal guy about it, yeah. and 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 that was where we, where our brain our brains went. Was, absolutely. Uh, I wonder if your blood would sound different than my blood. <laughs> That's how COVID started, man. <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, I think that's something that I'm, I mean, you and I talked about this, Joey, about, uh, about distortion in mixes. I've been playing with more and more distortion on everything. And I, yeah. every time, every time I push push my own limits with distortion, I get happier and happier with the end results of my mix. Um, there is no such thing as no dis or no distortion on my mixes. Like yeah. almost everything gets distorted in some capacity. And at, at the same time, at the same time, the last, the last week I've been listening to a lot of like early nineties metal. Mm. You know, I, I, I went down a rabbit hole uh, on Megadeth. Nice. I spent some time listening to uh, Extremes, Three Sides to Every Story, which is one of my favorite records. Um, and the, the Megadeth one caught me off guard the most. Hmm. I haven't listened to that record since the 90s. Uh, hmm. The Symphony of Destruction. Oh, yeah. Uh, Countdown to Extinction. Is that the one? Or is it Rust in Peace? Or? Uh, that's Countdown, I, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, so um, I was genuinely surprised because I, I mean, I enjoyed Symphony of Destruction. It was a fun song to listen to in junior high. Mm. Um, 
I was so surprised at how clean that whole record was. Like there's distortion on the guitars, but it's such a static mix. The whole, the whole album, such a static mix that doesn't do anything. Doesn't have like the, the drums are super clean. They're punchy, but they're super clean. Hmm. They don't, they don't change. There's no, there's no, ex, there's no more excitement in the chorus, other than the guitars change what they play. Mm-hmm. You know, I think there maybe this backup vocal that comes in, but mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it was, it was, I was blown away at how clean everything was and how boring the mix was. Mm-hmm. And 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 it, 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 I don't think I would have noticed that had I not been playing so much with distortion lately. Right. You know, because. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been noticing a lot of songs right now coming out that are super distorted and and, and very um I don't want to say retro sounding. It's not really it's just like there's this I think it's the sign of the times of of things sounding so overprocessed and so perfected. It almost reminds me like I think we talked about this last time, James. Yeah. Where it, it really seems to me like the end of the eighties when everything was super digital super clean clean right and then it just took a couple bands to come out and change the narrative with that right like mm. i think people are craving more of a real sound now uh, and you know what i mean that's I my I a trend I, right now in audio engineering where audio engineers are playing with a lot more saturation at yeah, the moment yeah that's I what i'm hearing i disagree on the uh on the uh, what did you call it authentic not authentic people are craving more of a um just more of a real sound, less less of a, a like sound. like for instance, like throwing everything on grid. Something as simple as that seems to take the life out of it to me. So I was I was putting I was putting um, putting uh, audio samples on my website mm-hmm. the last couple of days, and I was going through a lot of a lot of stuff I've mm-hmm. done recently that I was really proud of, mm-hmm. and I I uh, I brought up this this uh, on Spotify or mm-hmm. t- uh, title or something. I brought up a a song I had done start to finish with this girl, uh, last year. Mm. And I was really proud of it, really happy with, with how it turned out. I was a little kind of odd, but very poppy piano pop type Mm. of thing. And, uh, and then I noticed that she had done a new song since then with someone else. And so I I wanted to listen to it. Um, cause she, she, either she knew I was shut down most of last year and didn't come back or mm. she wanted a different experience. Cause I'd mm-hmm. done a couple of records with her already. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this song was, it was either programmed drums or sample replaced drums. Right. And, and it was, it was obvious that like obvious right away that they were not like a human didn't play that snare drum mm. the whole way through the song, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, same with the kick drum and, and everything, everything kind of sounded manufactured. Yeah. But she, I, I could tell that she definitely preferred that sound. And the whole thing kind of had this, this more, this more process, this more like digital feel to it. Mm. And I absolutely preferred what I did with her yeah. then. And I'm not even considering the song itself, but the work that I'd done for her mm. versus what she had on this song. Right. And, um, and it, it made me really, I have moments like this every once in a while, but it made me realize how much I prefer things from the 90s or yeah. things from the totally. 70s when there was so much, there was so much more 
actual performance going yes. on and snare drums didn't sound the same from record to record. And, yeah. and, and, and I definitely don't want to do that. I don't mm. want to, I don't want to be the snap, the, the sample replacement on every yeah. kick and snare mm. kind of guy. Um, which has made me help, made me help make a lot of decisions that I've been struggling with lately. But, mm. uh, I just, it, it, it really bothers me when, when every, every snare sounds the same. Exactly. Every, you know, I, you know what I mean? I, and, and, I, I know what you mean. And I know I'm I, very much a, if the song dictates it, then I'm doing it. Like, I think I'm more if in I'm that doing realm pop, too. Like that's what pop needs. Yeah. Metal needs that all the time. Cause what drummer can play at full blast for five minutes straight? Yeah. Just yeah. constantly hitting 16th notes or right. whatever. Right. I, so I can understand, I can understand. And I mean, this is, this is, again, this is just my own personal preference, right? Yeah. But I can understand the, the idea of adding something to enhance yes. the sound of something, right? More but, often than not, I will admit when I am sample, I, I, I don't really want to call it replacement because yeah. I'm usually layering it right. underneath. It's usually with the original drum, mm-hmm. typically. Yeah. But there are certain moments where it's like, this drum doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and we need a different sound. So yeah. we'll replace it. Right. I miss, um, Drumagog stopped working for me. Drumagog is a drum sampling replacement. I miss that. Um, because it used, it, I would, I would load up a, a kick drum sample or a snare drum sample that would literally have 30 different samples in there cool, and broken down into five different velocity groups and multiple different samples within each group so that it sounds different every mm. time. Nice. And, um, the, the big trouble with it was it had, it was terrible at, uh, at keeping things sample aligned with mm. the track. So I'd, I'd have to print it and then, and then time align everything anyway. But um, is there any plugins that, that work for that now? Like time aligning drums really well? Like it depends on is it better to do it. Yourself? Uh, there is a, a plugin called Timeline okay. that does sample based time alignment, but you, you sometimes have to do additional right. editing after the fact. Yeah. Cause I imagine that would be a really helpful thing for me I, as far as just making sure all the samples are in, are in alignment with the real thing. But as far as how I would approach in my noobish brains <laughs> approaching <laughs> it, like editing a drummer, I think the times I would edit, it would have to be pretty, pretty bad. Like for me to have to move something or I would save it for the moments where it's like, obviously that doesn't sound good. But if something's, you know, if something's ebbing and flowing, but it works with the music, then that's, I think, better well, than time-aligning. if it's working, don't touch. Exactly. Because there's a breathing thing that happens uh, with people playing naturally, sure. too. Uh, I mean, generally when I'm doing it, it's like, we're talking like 200 samples. No one yeah. can hear that. But no. the potential phase relationships, like uh, I might be adding comb filtering because it's off by 200 samples. Yeah. So when I then switch it over like this track is 200 samples off I and then make it sample aligned then all of a sudden like that snare drum sounds bigger yeah because i don't have all these dips in the frequencies and stuff so right 
Now, does it, I was going to ask you guys a question about this earlier. Like, this is what led into me asking about the 500 series. You know, when I'm thinking about, because in my, and I'm just going with my gut on this one, I wanted to have, um, I'm typically running about 13 microphones when I'm miking a drum set. Um, that's what I'm experimenting right now with anyway. That's not much. No, I hope, I, 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 I hope that's not too much. I, I'm trying to stay kind of just, it's not with what I can afford at the moment as well. I but, was, I had a 16 channel board recently with my, uh, situation mm-hmm. and I had to record bass at the same time oh. <laughs> and, uh, I was struggling to make sure that I had enough tracks for bass. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Cause I'm insane. So you're going like top bottoms and for, and for all your toms and everything. And well, I, not necessarily. I, I typically just do the tops for the toms, but, uh, yeah, I had, if I had my choice, I'd probably have had a third microphone for the snare because I would have mm. probably mic'd the uh, the hole that's in the snare. Ooh. Um, I would have probably had a bloom line right in front of uh, the drum kit as well to be like my middle of the kit mic. So then there's like additional three more channels right there. Um, and that would have put me closer to like 20 channels holy shit for everything that i was recording at the time because i had two microphones on the uh uh bass cab as well as tracking the di right not that we're going to use any of the di's but right good to have though yeah yeah it's a safety in case we decide that the sounds i got weren't good but right uh the band is pretty happy with the sounds i got so and do you do you guys typically try to stay to the same preamps for all your microphones? That was kind of what I was thinking about with 500 series. Like it would be much like say I wanted to run. I I, I know what you're saying. Um, I don't care about having the same preamps except when it comes to making decisions, and that's when that's when I would, I would rather just have all the same preamps and not mm. have to make the decision Yeah, because at the end of the day, the preamp is a small factor in, in the process. Mm. Um, yeah. At least for me, like the preamp, like if, if I had, if I had 16 channel, well, shit, I got a console. I got 48 channels yeah. of the, the exact same preamp. Mm-hmm. And if I had to do everything with them, I'd be very happy. Yeah. 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 More often than not, when I'm recording, its situation dictates what I use. Yeah. Uh, this recent session that I had, I had to use an Allen and Heath uh, SQ5. Yeah. That was the preamps I used. Right. Not the preamps I would have picked if you know I had my choice of mm-hmm. 16 channels of whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would have definitely used something different because uh, I wasn't perfectly happy with those preamps but Mm. it it got me where it it got what i needed out of it and then i could color those after the fact which is what i did when i did my comps for the drums is like i then added some saturation on there to give me the illusion of using some preamps that i wanted to use right there was a there was a an early, I'm sure it was a Smashing Pumpkins. Do you guys remember that band? I love Smashing Pumpkins. There was an early record that they did that rumors suggest that the whole thing was recorded with Mackie preamps. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and 
I mean, some old cool. like '90s uh, Mackie boards were like good. Like yeah. they, that was back when they were made in USA. Yeah, uh, they still compared didn't... to compared to the stuff they're making now, like the '90s boards do sound better, right? In my opinion, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the, but the thing is, like they they still weren't great. You know, like no, I, I I remember in in '98 '99 having having touring acts refuse. To, to play if we sh- if the PA company which I, I was part of showed up with Mackie gear, <laughs> really? Right? Because it was it, it still wasn't you know like Mackie versus a Soundcraft 200B mm. was night and day, but that doesn't mean it's not usable, right? Yeah. And so it, like 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 Joey says, if if that's what you got, that's what you got, and and it's not going to it's not going to wreck your record. Yeah. What's going to wreck your record is the performance. That's it. Bad microphone placement. Yeah. Um, shitty drummer, shitty, horrible drum yeah. kit. Uh, dude, uh, a good drummer can a make a good drummer will make, make a horrible a drum kit sound. Drum good. kit sound amazing. It just comes down to their tuning ability, hey? Yeah. Basically, well, yeah. like the drummer I I record, I've for shits and giggles, I've seen him play like a kid's drum kit, and those things are terrible. I've even seen him play <laughs> awesome. uh, a Mapex Tornado, and I hate those things. Yeah. Like even he hates those things, and, right. and like the thing is, is like. The reason why drummers hate cheap kits is because they are so hard to tune. Right. Yeah. Right. But once you get it tuned, it's this there. good drummer just makes it sound amazing. Yeah. Right. So. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Good Good musicians make or break things. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the gear. Like the, the more expensive drums are just easier to tune. That That's kind of like the general consensus i've gotten from like some really amazing drummers is like i like the expensive thing Mm -hmm. because i can tune it in like a matter of seconds right i got drunk with a rich guy um down in columbia when i was there awesome and he only he he refused to drink anything less than hundred dollar hundred dollars a bottle um and we were drinking tequila Mm -hmm. and we drank a lot of tequila we made like a couple trips to the liquor store <laughs> to get more tequila. But he insisted that it, it's not that the tequila tasted better at $100 a bottle versus $40 a bottle. Hmm. It was that the hangover right. wasn't as bad. That makes sense. Right? And I woke up the next morning having probably drank an entire bottle of tequila myself. And I was still drunk-ish, <laughs> but no hangover. Really? Right? Like, or at least the hangover was nothing near to what I was used to experiencing because I can't afford $100 bottle yeah. of tequila. <laughs> but, but the same thing, the same thing is true with, with audio gear is, is, or, or music gear in general is, is it's not so much about, about whether it's going to sound good because a, a $300 uh, Les Paul clone can sound as good as a $3,000 Les Paul if you if you change well, the hardware. <laughs> well, you know, cuz but the guitar itself is going to sound fine. The thing I find with if we're going to use like let's say Gibson Les Paul like the $5,000 Gibson Les Paul versus like say the $2,000 Les Paul or a $1,000 Epiphone or whatever. Mm. Like there, there, uh, it's kind of at the top end of Epiphone is kind of where diminishing returns kind of starts mm. to happen. I find, uh, cause you, they're going to have the same pickups 
in the Epiphones as they do their Gibsons. Mm. Um, and then the only thing I have noticed uh, with Gibsons is that they're easier to play. Yeah. They, they feel nicer. Yeah. Uh, that's what I've noticed. And at, when you get to the $5,000 ones, like it's just that slight bit more of a nicer feel. Right. Uh, so, yeah. And sound wise, I didn't notice anything different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's the little details like that yeah. that you end up paying more and more for. Right. right. And you just have to decide whether that, yeah. whether that detail the same argument is, can be made yeah. for all three of these compressors. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Like, I feel like I can really dial in whatever. Like mm -hmm. it's really easy to dial in with the actual 1176. Right. It's a little harder on the other two. Right. So you, it's like ease of use, essentially. Yes. Yeah. To, to a point. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely a, like a sonic characteristic of all of these. Mm -hmm. um, but I do feel like they are all within a relative ballpark right. to one another. Right. Um, but when I was using them, I found that the 1176 just feels better. It yeah. feels like I can get the sound I'm going for a lot quicker. Whereas like the other two, they kind of have like a, a sluggish feel to them. It, it, right. It's hard to describe other than it just feels sluggish right? in okay. comparison. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Like even like you said, just attributing it to like the same thing with a guitar or a drum set. It's yeah. definitely, I, I gather. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me. Yeah. If you've a lot of played an instrument that's worth a lot of money and you compared it to a cheap one, like maybe a beginner wouldn't be able to tell the difference, but mm -hmm. anyone who, who knows their instrument, like you play the expensive thing and you're like, Oh, okay. This just feels good. hundred percent, buddy. I'd say like, even for the, I tend to watch a lot of like Warren Hewitt and stuff like a produce like a pro. And yeah. so I followed his advice about acquiring a really good studio drum kit as soon as possible. So I, I dropped L and M I find I can always show up there at the right moments when something retardedly expensive is retardedly cheap. <laughs> so, and I've usually the guy buying out all the rental gear, right? Yeah. So, um, everyone is right. I'm in rentals. I yeah. have that conversation with people every day, but just makes it more accessible, right? Like, like for instance, like that drum kit I bought, I bought specifically, like I knew about that drum kit before I even bought it. That's why when I saw it, I snagged it. It was a uh, Pearl premium legend ones like so those are okay. uh apparently they were made for recording they they actually designed them for that right so and that's the first thing i noticed with them is the ease of the tuning it was like boom in two seconds it just there it was that's that sound is there and you don't have to do a whole lot of uh dampening to the kit like it doesn't have those gross overtones and stuff like that it was kind of just here you go go for it my deals for new stuff is usually better than what i can get for used oh really yeah <laughs> Especially if I'm <laughs> buying stuff that uh, Yorkville distributes. So I bought a Mapex kit for basically half price. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. That's how I got mine, right? Like mine's Although not a great kit. But mine's not a great kit, but it was. Uh, mine's was, a good uh, kit. It was a. Mine's also a limited edition. Nice. Mapex killer too. I like Mapex. Some Mapex stuff uh, is good. Not yeah. their entry <laughs> mid entry stuff that yeah. stuff's like tornado sucks yeah um but when you get into like their mid-grade stuff that's where it starts to get good i bought one of their high-end 
things. I bought their 30th anniversary kit and they only made 300 of them. Wow. <laughs> awesome. That is so sick, dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, the price was just too good to be true. And yet I don't <laughs> see it set up anywhere here. It's not here because I don't have space for it. And, but there, I am going to work out a situation where I, it will be here eventually. Awesome, man. I had to do the same thing with that kit I bought too. And it was uh, also the same thing I told to my wife was just what you said. It seems to be, that's like my running phrase these days is the price was too good to say no. <laughs> and my wife's like, please stop calling well, to Long McQuaid. <laughs> to be honest with this, like, uh, Long and McQuaid sent me to Toronto to talk to people. Uh, and one of the Mapex guys was uh, one of these people I had to talk to. And they were talking about this new kit that they were bringing out. And they didn't have it there for us to see in person. Yeah. They just showed us pictures. Yeah. And like the pictures of it is like, oh, it's a red drum kit. Cool. Like, yeah. whatever. But when I saw it in person, that's the, that was when it, like all these things that they were telling me about, like how it's awesome mm. came in. I was like, wait, this is an awesome kit and it mm. looks beautiful. It looks better in person than it does in pictures. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's awesome. That's incredible, dude. Yeah. I know I already know my answer to this question in my mind, but to you guys, do you think that having your kit, even if it's not like whatever a seven thousand dollar drum kit or whatever like just having your kit knowing that kit knowing where the fundamental frequencies lie in it do you think that's that's the safety net of, at some point for you guys with bands changes with every drummer does it changes changes every week as the as the skins don't get changed ah yeah yeah right? i hear that yeah. I, I find i find the skins have more to do with those fundamental frequencies right than than the drum kit does oh right like like most okay. most most resonance problems I find can be eliminated by putting on a new set of skins and, and then tuning it, of course. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't matter what the drum kit is. Like I, I find the room that I'm in has a bigger influence than the drum kit. Cool. Yeah. The but the drummer has yeah. a bigger influence than the room. Right. Yeah. Is it like guitars too, where it can go all the way down to even just choosing like, you know how guitars, you got the bowl of picks, right? could be as sim different as a pick choice like could does picks, that play picks make a huge difference too? picks yeah. make a huge difference so uh, even for drummers like having a certain tipped stick or like yeah yeah, yeah. Plas uh like uh i yeah the, the vinyl tips. tips versus wood tips yeah. versus the size of the tip is a big deal yeah um, the size of the stick can make like uh, a heavier stick will actually affect how the how drummer play. plays yeah i keep i keep a set of i keep a set of vinyl sticks a set of medium and heavy sticks uh, with wood um, around. I keep uh, what, what are they called? Blast sticks or lightning rods? Um, they're, they're like the, the like the the balsa wood with like nine yes. nine. Th I keep some of those. I keep brushes. I keep some mallets. Also that also that we can we can customize what I'm asking. And I don't only do it for session drummers, but mm. what I'm asking the session drummer to play. Mm -hmm. You know, like like we might have a part where. That ride symbol with the wood stick sounds wrong, mm. but that ride symbol with the vinyl tipped stick sounds perfect. Right. Right. And it might be that simple, right? I haven't tested it out myself, but mm -hmm. supposedly the type of wood that the stick is made out of can Absolutely. influence. I believe that. Yeah. Probably probably more so in a better drummer's hands. Yeah. Than uh, right? Right. Yeah. 
I guess with a with a complete amateur, they're just going to be beating the shit out of it. They might be either yeah. way, right? So yeah. they're probably really heavy on the symbols. I got a question for you guys. Dream scenario. <laughs> okay. What would be your dream if you could set up any chain of of uh, mic pre's and compressors? What would be Basically, your dream choice? If you can hemorrhage a lot of money <laughs> and not worry about it. Exactly right. <laughs> Hemorrhaging, uh, we're not even money. Not an option. Like it. Just what would you use as your dream setup? Um, just the gear or the, the microphone too. Uh, uh, microphone, like, maybe like microphone. What, uh, what type of instrument is running through it? Yeah, I guess it yeah. all depends. It and even vibe yeah. the song too. Yeah, right? it depends on the situation. I mean, okay. give me an endless amount of money. Like I'm building a rehearsal studio slash recording studio. Sick. Yeah. But I know at the end of the day, that place will not make money. <laughs> Excuse me. There, there've been a lot of them that have opened and closed. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why is that? Just because the projects take too long, or well. Uh, Rehearsal, um, there was one downtown that was a rehearsal studio and they had four rehearsal spaces. Mm -hmm. One of them was, could also dual as a recording space right. because, and they had a little, they had a little control room off to the side. there's more than four rooms. I think there was like seven. That was the one on 109, right? Yeah, by McEwen. Yeah. 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 Was there seven in there, hey? Um, there was a few, there was quite a few rooms. Yeah. And they got perpetually smaller the further in the building you oh, yeah. you went. <laughs> and they had, but, but they also got cheaper as they got smaller. They right. also had storage lockers that if if you were yeah. a regular, you could rent a storage locker as well. Yeah, and it was pretty um, affordable. You paid by the hour that you were in your room, yeah, not like that. for the room itself. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a good it was a good thing. Um, and it, there was even one actually that opened just by the McDonald's by my old studio. Yeah. There was one down there too. They had some similar. Problem with that multi-room room though was it was poorly managed. That's too bad. In my opinion. Because yeah. there would be so many times where like we have this time slot booked and we would show up, but nobody was there to let us in. Oh, yeah. that sucks. And, and as a result, we would get free time. Oh. So like I got a lot of free time in that rehearsal <laughs> studio strictly because there was no one there and he at our time slot. <laughs> he finally he finally gave up on that place when he got a job at a theater. Really? And, and I, I don't mean like a movie theater but like a, like an like an actual theater theater. Right. Um and and that like he got a $60,000 a year job which was like five times more than he was making off of that place. Nice. So yeah, that place was only open for like a year, maybe two, two years. It was open two years. Yeah. yeah. It was starting to like get some attention mm -hmm. by the time he shut it down. I was there pretty much when it opened. Yeah. Because I, I was in a pretty crappy band at the time that was going nowhere. <laughs> I eventually yeah. got kicked out of that band. And then I think it was like <laughs> six months later that he shut down the okay. rehearsal space or something. I don't yeah. know. I mean, I got kicked out because like it, it, I- I had posters in there. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't notice them. I, I, yeah. No. I was too busy with school, so I got kicked out of my band. Is that when you I, were in I, Pixel? Yeah. Nice. I also knew that the band was going nowhere. Yeah. And they kept talking about how they were going to go on tour. And I was like, no, you're not. Yeah. I've been on tour. You guys don't have what it takes. Right. <laughs> That's usually make or break time. I, uh, I hate to be the Debbie Downer. Yeah. And I don't want you guys to stop if you want to keep going on that conversation, but I got to go. Yeah, that's cool. It's time to go. Time for me to go. I, I got to be somewhere in twenty minutes. So wow, that went fast. Yeah, I think we've got like almost two hours of really recording. almost two hours. Yeah. yeah. Okay, I had more questions, but I'll save it. 
Cool. I'll save it. Yeah. Right. Well, you guys can keep talking if you want. I got to pee again. Oh, yeah. wait. You might have to edit that comment out. <laughs> uh, we'll leave that in. Um, <laughs> do you want to, uh, do you want to just like we transfer uh, the tracks to me and yeah. then uh, just throw them into a zip file or something? Sure. Yeah. And then I'll, I'll, I, I won't burden you with the, uh, with the work if you don't want it. Don't mind. Only if you want like to. Gates or I, uh, I mean, this is going to be a lot of work. Okay. Yeah. On to the internet you go. Oh, switch off. <laughs> <laughs>